With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. Hey, this is Loudon Swain. Fred Metcalf. Tony Ramos. Ryan Shute. Mike Golick. Bubba J. Johnny Hendricks. And Matthew Modine. And the one and only Chael Sonnen. And you are listening to the one and only Short Time Wrestling Podcast by the often imitated and never duplicated Jason Bryant. I'm three-time national wrestling writer and broadcaster of the year, Jason Bryant, and I'll bring you news, reviews, previews, and interviews with the most notable names and personalities in wrestling. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app by logging on to matttalkonline.com slash listen and leave a review for the show at matttalkonline.com slash get short time. Short time is sponsored by Flips Wrestling. Share your attitude and be heard at flipswrestling.com. Now it's time, because you've always got time for short time. For short time. And welcome back again, folks. Episode 178 of the Short Time Wrestling Podcast. I'm Jason Bryant. Today, we're going to be talking with 70-kilo freestyle world team member James Green. We're going to talk a little bit about him growing up in New Jersey, heading off to Nebraska. What was it like dealing with uh, the, the weight with the Nick Marable situation. We'll talk to him a little bit later on. want to give you a little heads up on some initiatives that we're doing right now. Go to madtalkonline.com slash news. Sign up for our free daily email newsletter. Basically, it's not just a newsletter. It's your daily wrestling news. So stuff that you, you'll, you'll have to search out everywhere and find. I've done that for you. This is curated news. I'm sitting there. I'm looking at it. I'm finding it. I'm going, this is what people want to read. I boom, make sure you get it seven o'clock central time every morning. Uh, basically within five or ten minutes of that hour. So 8 o'clock on the East Coast, wherever time you are when you're in Tashkent. So, again, sign up for that. It's free at matttalkonline.com slash news. Another initiative that we're talking about is the Hall of Fame Legends Series that I will be working with the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, and we're going to crowdfund this. So this is where I'm going to look to you, the wrestling community, to help basically get this thing paid for and it's uh, i'm not asking for a whole lot and i'm not asking for a whole lot from a whole lot of people actually it's a lot of people but a little bit you know we used to say that at wrestling 411 uh, a little from a lot so if you go to hall of fame there is a link there where you can hit the patreon link to give a small monthly donation it's one two five uh ten or fifteen whatever you want uh in terms of that you know set your own mark you know, a small monthly recurring donation to the project, or you can hit that PayPal link and give a, a one-time donation to the Hall of Fame Legends series that uh, we're launching. And again, that is going to be donated back to the Hall of Fame for their Hall of Fame uh, renovation and digital outreach. So uh, these stories that I'm going around the country collecting for the Hall of Fame are, are, is something that just we're looking to get. We're looking some. We're trying something new, folks. I mean, not a whole lot of people in wrestling have crowdfunded anything. So this is where you, if you like the show, if you want to hear from our sports legends, you want to hear from Dan Hodge, you want to hear from Stanley Henson, you want to hear from Gray Simons, you want to hear from Wade Chalice, you want to hear from these people. These are people I'm going to talk to. So just file that down in your mind. Go to HallOfFameLegends.org. Hit with a small contribution, and we can help get this project launched. 
Again, I want to thank those who have already contributed to the effort, and that would be Rob Laramore, Arthur Keen, Tom Devine, John Ellingarth, Corey Finner, Nick Suberling, Tim Johnson, Wayne Tamala, Bob Zerl, Troy Heinrichs, Jack Childs, and most recently, John Rubiner. Now, some of the news that's been going around here as we record this on June 25th, 2015, is the fun-loving word that is Title IX. Now, a lot of people see that and they think wrestling and they're like, ah, great, the reason all these programs have been cut. Well, I've always been steadfast in the point that it's, it's a factor and it has been some of the reason, not the whole reason. You can't just blame every single cut on Title IX. On, you know, that's just not how the way the world works. It's just it wouldn't be true. We have lost a lot of programs. We've lost 30, you know, we've lost a real lot. So I was looking at some numbers today, and obviously the 43rd anniversary of Title IX came and went on the 23rd, 24th of June. So you're seeing a lot of rhetoric, a lot of propaganda out there. But let me sort out fact from fiction. Because, uh, you know, I was in a, a embroiled Title IX debate with one of their lead uh, rhetoric mongers who has since blocked me on Twitter. So those of you who follow me on Twitter, you don't have to deal with any of those, like, long argument back and forth ever again. So I, I guess that's a good thing. It's also going to save my sanity some. But uh, here's a note. 1981, I looked at the NCAA stats that were in their publication. So in 1981 and 82, this is just Division One. there were 146 Division One wrestling programs. That was good for 52.9% of the membership. So 146 out of 276 schools at Division One sponsored wrestling. Now we go to 2013-14, where we were at 77 programs with 346 members. That's 22.3% of the membership. That's a 30% drop in sponsorship. So people like, you know, look at all these other sports have been making gains. No, actually they really haven't because let's look at baseball. For example, I want you to think about this in 1981. Again, there have been 70 new schools into division one. So in baseball, 81, 82, there were 256 baseball teams, 92% of division one schools sponsored the sport. Now, 2013, 14, there are 297 teams. Hey, all right, that's a gain of 43 programs. Uh, not necessarily. Yes, that is a gain of there are 43 more baseball teams, but there is a sponsorship difference of 6%. That means 85.8% of the schools sponsor it versus, so there's more teams, but less schools sponsor it compared to the 92% that sponsored baseball back in 1981, 82. And the reason I use that that year is that's when the NCAA put these stats out. Now, another telling point is of there are 20 sports that have substantial or championship sports or have substantial numbers to look at. I excluded sports like archery, badminton, bowling, equestrian, which have trace uh, participation on the men's side. Same with sailing, which is essentially a co-ed sport, and squash. Now, let's look at some of the you know everybody always says well well the title nine pundits will point to football and be like well football's taking it all up well you know what there's there's some truth to football taking up things because i did some more numbers there have been 20,000 and changed about 20,412 more athletes now or in 2013-14 than there were in 1981-82 so you've got a 20,000 athlete gain well 9800 of those were football players so that's one sport taking up 48 percent of the men's sports participation so there you can see football is an issue because you've got no sport that can handle on the women's side that that can offset those numbers they try to do it with rowing it just doesn't get it they're getting maybe 50 for that so interestingly enough that 
uh, the gain, yeah, 10,000 athletes gained over all the other 20 sports. Now, of those 20 sports that I just talked about, um, I measured 17 of them. Well, I measured all 20 of them. And only three sports on the men's side actually had percentage gains. And I say percentage because I'm not looking at growth of number of teams. I'm looking at how many, what the percentage is of NCAA Division One programs that sponsor the sport. So in men's basketball, and 1981-82, 273 schools had basketball. That was 98.9%. So that meant only three schools in Division I membership didn't have a basketball team. Seems rare now, but now 346 out of 346 do. So 100% of Division I has men's basketball. That is a good for a 1.1% increase. That's one of the three sports. The other one, which is often thrown in our, our faces as wrestling people, is like you know schools are re- re- attributing resources to more popular sports, and they point to lacrosse. All right, lacrosse in 1981-82 had 50 programs. They were, they were sponsored by 18% of Division I. Now... In thirteen fourteen, of course, were these stats? They had sixty seven programs. So that over thirty years, they only added seventeen programs at the Division One level. That is only a one point two percent increase in sponsorship. So it's not like lacrosse is taking all our programs because you know men's wrestling uh, went from one forty six to seventy seven, thirty percent gone of the of, you know of the sponsorship number. And the other sport was, of course, football. Football, 187 programs in 1981-82. That was good for 67.8%. Now there are 249 football teams. 72% of Division I sponsor it, and that includes FBS and FCS, or what's formerly Division I, 1AA. So that's a 4.2% growth, which is interesting because now all the other 17 sports, yeah, they're all in the red. Wrestling, a 30% drop in a membership, 306 to be exact. And then uh, swimming and diving, 26.6%. They had 65.6% of the school sponsoring in 1982. And today they have 39%. Another sport hit hard was men's tennis, which is interesting because if you look at numbers, 267 teams in 1981 and 82, and there's 261 now. Oh, well, that's not bad. They've only lost six schools. Not so fast, my friend, to steal a line from uh, Lee Corso. 96.7% of Division I sponsored men's tennis in 1981-82. That number today is only 75.4%, 21.3% drop in sponsorship. Notice I'm not saying teams because, yes, yeah, you're, you're getting you – know, some of these sports have more teams. But look, the number of Division I programs has increased by 70 so, and here's another stat I want to throw out at you. This is probably more indicative of the Title IX issue as it relates to gender equity. In 1981-82, the average number of men's sports per Division I school was 10.21. That number today is 8.68. Now, compared to the women, which, again, uh, the number of athletes they've had in 1981-82 was 31,000. They're at 83,000 today. So great advances by women's sports under the NCAA banner, which waiting for wrestling to be an emerging sport there as uh, they've got things like team handball as an emerging sport. Uh, it's an Olympic sport, but, hey, you know, that's the, the, that's there is no, uh, you know, where's, where's, yeah, we've got a lot more women's wrestlers than we do team handball players. So anyway, back to my point before I get too off topic here is, uh, women had 31,000 athletes back in 81, 82, and now they're they're at the 83,000 mark. Pretty good. Great job. 7.24 teams 
per school, women's team. So in 1981-82, there was 10.2 for men and 7.2 for women. Now let's fast forward to 2013-14. There are 8.68 teams per Division One school. This is an average. And 10.45. So we've seen that middle ground swap. And, of course, the number of participants has gone up for both men and women. So you, the, your, your numbers pundits will look at it and be like, well, men's, men have, have grown too. Well, you know what? Populations have grown. Number of teams have grown. Number of schools have grown. But let's look at the overall in Division One. This is another thing I want to throw out at you. Uh, obviously, Division Two and Division Three are different animals, but Division One because that's where a lot of the focus is, where people want the NWCA to add new teams. Let's look at this. There were 2,817 men's teams in 1981-82. There are now 3,005. That is a net gain of 188. Now, there have been hundreds of programs added and dropped on the men's side, but the net gain in Division One is only 188. On the women's side, again, this is probably justified, completely justified, because you know we don't want to take away opportunities, and that's the one thing we got to remember. It's not about being. We're not anti women. We're not anti women's sports. We're just anti cutting of men's sports. So, sixteen hundred and sixteen new programs, new sports on the women's side, and again, the number has gone from two hundred seventy six members to three hundred forty six. So, you're looking at. Of that course, I actually got that number here somewhere. So during that course of time, we have 1,616 more teams, which has seen a net gain of 51,394 female athletes. The men's side, 188 more teams and 20,000. So it's weird, but again, remember, half of those athletes are football players. Half, well, 48%. So anyway, before you go on any Title IX diatribes like I typically do, come armed with facts and information. You can actually find uh, the data that I'm looking at at ncaapublications.com slash product downloads slash pr1314.pdf. I'll put that in the show notes for this episode in case you want to look at the data yourself because uh, this is something that, I mean, this is provided by the NCAA, but every, the only thing everybody ever looks at is that, that number of 20,000 more men than 30 years ago. Well, guess, you know, duh, there's more people. Here's another thing that I found that was telling is the average number of athletes per individual sport. And I actually broke football out of this uh, because, again, I, you're not, you can't break football out of the equation in Title IX, so don't even argue that. You can't do it. But take football out of the equation in terms of how many athletes there are per sport. So I'm looking at just individual and small team sports. So uh, without that number, the current number of athletes per sport on the men's side, again, 2013 and 14, is 32. So you're looking at 32 men per team average. Take football out of that equation, and you're looking at 24. That is up two, uh, two players, wrestlers, athletes, whatever, uh, per sport. Less schools means there's more wrestlers funneling into fewer schools, so their roster sizes are going to be bigger. So you're going to get more athletes per sport. So that being the case, you can check all that out at the NCAA stuff. I've been tweeting it at Jason M. Bryant, some notable tweets. So uh, those people that don't like to hear the other side of the table, they blocked me on Twitter on their 43rd anniversary. So, again, we are not anti-women sports. We are not anti-women. We just want a little bit of just basically admit that the law – Cause cuts because, you know, if you're battling that uh, that 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 group that likes to say that Title IX has never caused a cut in a men's sport ever, they're just living in a fantasy world. 
yeah, football has caused a lot of problems for non-revenue sports and men's sports. But guess what? It's not the only problem. Football and basketball is not the only problem. And when you see 17 out of 20 sports have their sponsorship percentage drop, you can't just blame that on one sport. It's just not the case. That being said, that's my rant. Again, if you want to want to check some things out, I'll put that link up in the show notes for you. Uh, it's from the NCAA. It's their uh, Sport Reports' NCAA Sports Sponsorship and Participation Rates Report. Now with that rant pretty much over, it's time to talk to James Green. All right, short time, coming your way. And now we pick up our conversation with U.S. world teamer James Green. He won the spot at 70 kilos by picking up two victories over Dustin Schlater at the U.S. world team trials in Madison, Wisconsin. And, and James, before we get going here, when you won the second match, they had to correct themselves and say world team trials champion instead of world team member. Then the you know week went by. We got the announcement that uh, Nick Marable was not going to get the wrestle off. So now we can finally say it. World team member James Green. How does that sound? Sounds good. It's, it's awesome. Um, you know, when I won the match uh, at that time in that moment, um, you know, nobody could really take it away from me. You know, I mean, they were saying champion, but I considered myself to be on the world team at that moment. And, you know, as far as the decision go, until they had made the decision, I, you know, if they would have said I had to wrestle them all for not, I would have still considered myself on the world team because at that point he would have been challenging me because I won the tournament. So, you know, it just felt good. But to clear up the air and actually now make it official, it's awesome. I can't wait to represent the USA. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, the world team birth and your international career in a little bit, but we'll start out and getting some background on James Green. Just uh, a lot of people know you're a four-time All-American in Nebraska, you know, seven, seven, three, three. You're, you're not too proud of those sevens and threes, but you did. Interestingly enough, one silver lining is you you won every match, your last match of the year, all four times. So you won for seventh and then you won for third. So you didn't end any season on a loss. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's always a big thing, you know, leaving the tournament because you don't want to leave, you know, losing. So to, to end the day winning and knowing you got your hand raised is awesome. And it keeps your, your head up and knows that you're able to come back and bounce back from losing and you can just – you have what it takes to get it done. Uh, unfortunately, I, you know, took third twice, but uh, – at the end of the day, I was able to wrestle back through the tournament and kind of dominate guys and wrestle like I know I can wrestle. But things happen, and you just have to be able to control those things and do your best every time. Now, you had said you'd been wrestling forever. So exactly when when did you start wrestling? I think you said it was, it was five or six years old. Yeah, so I started wrestling when I was six years old. Um, my I used to live where one of my cousins used to live with me. And he was a little older, and then, you know, like any other kid, I wanted to play football. I went, I, I had big dreams. Oh, I'm going to the NFL, and I was playing football at the time when he started wrestling, and we were actually in the playoffs, and then we got knocked out early. So I started going to practices, and I, I actually enjoyed it. And as time went on, you know, I just kind of started falling in love more with wrestling, especially when I noticed I wasn't going to be this big six-foot uh, guy anymore. So it was great to – actually getting the sport of wrestling and no one in my family besides my cousin. I mean, he started wrestling, but before him, no one else was wrestled. So I think we had a different approach to wrestling, whereas other people, they have, you know, family members who've wrestled before. So we had no 
prior knowledge and everything was new to us. Even my dad at the time, he was learning and my mom, we were all learning a sport and it was great. It was a great experience for all of us as, as a family. What other sports were you playing? You said you mentioned football. What other sports did you play growing up before you all deciding that wrestling was kind of your favorite sport? So I ran track and I played football and then I wrestled. Um, in track, I ran a one, a two, a four by four. Um, that was the first sport I, I stopped kind of playing because um, my dad, he passed away at 10 and my mom, she, uh, she didn't really have time to kind of take me around all these places anymore. So I had to start, I had to give up one sport and I gave up track. And then once I got to about seventh, eighth grade, I kind of just started knowing I want to focus on wrestling and I, you know, stopped going to football. And I think I made, obviously, you know, I, I love, I'm proud of the choice I made and it's paid off and it's worked out to be at that young of an age and know that you want to put everything you have into just one sport and continue to get good at it and, Obviously, I had some dreams of being national champ, or world champ, or Olympic champ. And right now, the only two dreams I can do is being a world and Olympic champ. So I just want to leave a great legacy for myself. Well, you left a pretty good legacy at your high school. Uh, you know, said you're the first wrestler in high school history to win a state title. And I had actually talked with David McFadden, who's who's going to be wrestling at Virginia Tech next year. Uh, he was talking. Okay. We were talking to him about you know wrestling in New Jersey. He's a Jersey kid, won two New Jersey titles, and he said that there's nothing like wrestling in the New, in the state finals in New Jersey at Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City. What are your memories of that? And, and is he pretty much right? Is there anything like that? Oh man, that's awesome. Um, especially, I mean, I'm not sure how, what other you know high school tournaments are like because. Uh, New Jersey and California, we're the only states that, you know, are individual one uh, class. And with that being said, you have everyone there, you know, focused on that one mat. And you don't have, I think, uh, you know, other schools, they have multiple championships going on or something like that. But you just, you're in the center of the arena and, you know, everyone, it's packed. It's packed, especially for high school wrestling, you know, a packed arena and everyone's cheering I had the chance of wrestling in the finals twice, and, you know, it's just good. It's good learning experience, especially going to college. You get to deal with that crowd and that atmosphere, and it's just awesome. And uh, I'd actually like to get back there again and see, you know, how these guys are wrestling now, especially in New Jersey. I mean, I feel like we are – we like to just try and score, and we're not the grinding state, but we like to score and try and get points. So it's it's always a lot of fun matches. What was one of your, you know, obviously winning a state championship is is what really, you know, sets it off as one of your, your fond memories. But what is something that, about wrestling in New Jersey that you really took away from that, that doesn't get talked about a whole lot? Um, the fact, I, I think it was just how open, you know, everyone has open arms. Uh, there's a lot of clubs in New Jersey, I mean, there's yeah, every you know ten minutes there's a different club and me and myself I never really wrestled for a club just because they're just you know a lot of guys they just want you to go you know here or there and I I felt like sometimes I just need to you know different scenery so there's a lot of people that just let me come and practice and get different looks especially being from Willingboro I mean a town where wrestling's not that uh, big of a sport. So I got to venture out and wrestle with, you know, guys that took it more serious and wanted to achieve the things I did. 
and it was just great. You know, there's a lot of a lot of people that support you. And when I was growing up, a guy named Bob Casa, he, I mean, if you're in New Jersey and you don't know who that guy is with wrestling, then you should you should actually go out and you know try and figure out who he is. He's a great guy, and there's just people like him who help you you know, achieve your goals, take you to tournaments and, you know, take time out of his day to make sure you're getting better. You're trying to uh, be the best you can be in wrestling. And, you know, this wrestling is just a, it's a big, small community. There's a lot of people out there that just support you. And I feel like, you know, guys like that behind the scenes, like Bob Costa that just helped me get to where I am today. Those are the people that don't really get talked about. And those are the people that are big, you know, supporters of the sport and, they just help people achieve what they want to do in life that they're wrestling. As we talk about New Jersey, the landscape, uh, it's one question that I tend to ask a lot of people. But, uh, you know, it's about North Jersey versus South Jersey. Obviously, you're just north of Philly on the Jersey yep. side. And, uh, you know, is that you consider yourself South Jersey, Central Jersey? You're definitely not North Jersey. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not North Jersey, but I'm like at the top of South Jersey. So, yeah, I'm, I'm considered South Jersey, especially when you talk about the districts and the regions. So um, I was in District 26. I think there's, what, 28 districts or 32 districts? Yeah, 32 districts and eight regions. So I was Region 7, and basically, I mean, that's South Jersey. So it's definitely about North Jersey versus South Jersey. And those guys always, you know, they're they're tough up there. They, I don't I don't know what it was when we were kids, but they always had a lot of good guys, just, and it was tough. I, I remember wrestling in a – they actually made a South Jersey state because I think, you know, it was just a little a little uh, warm-up for the, the actual state tournament because North Jersey was just uh, real good and they always brought good guys. So we had a South Jersey state tournament and we oh, I always used to go there and wrestle. And, um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, I know it's kind of like a little battle there, always north and south. It was a great time, especially when you get to actually be on a team or, you know, the travel team. But, some of the North Jersey guys, and you're just joking around and playing. So it's a fun experience. Well, you got North, then you got South, then you got. A, I went to college with a bunch of guys from the Shore, and that's that's completely a different story, right there. It's not. It's, a, yeah. it's like its own. It's like it's like they don't say East Jersey, but that's that's a Shore. That's a whole different type of yeah. wrestler coming from the Shore. Yeah, the Shore. They like I said, I feel like <laughs> New Jersey. It was crazy because then they have the that tournament. Uh, War at the Shore, and, you know, like, they just make all these tournaments just for, you know, that area, except for North Jersey. They, they were so good. I, I guess they didn't need their own tournament except for the state tournament. And uh, Jersey guys, they're, they're usually, especially in the summer, you know, <laughs> they're either front on the shore or they're just, they're practicing. It's amazing how those guys can, they can be so such athletic, I would say, because they're always, you know, both surfing and then they're wrestling, and it's like, you know, a little battle. But I mean, I'm not too sure of uh, a lot of people that kind of want to wrestle and, you know, live that shore life because they they do do a lot of surfing, a lot of swimming, and I I feel like you got to dedicate your time to one or the other and spend more time in the wrestling room. But those guys. They're, they're able to do it. They're able to party. I mean, not party, but uh, have fun in the summer and be able to achieve goals. When I was wrestling, I always was working in the summer and trying to get better. But And I was always trying to compete. I remember wrestling with Jordan Beverly, and he was just, he was amazing at, you know, on top. And 
cradling guys up. And I'm like, gosh, this guy, he's always surfing. Or I know he was a great surfer, but I don't know what it was. I was thinking I need to get into surfing or something, but it was always funny. It's just, it's a great experience to just to come from that, you know, North Jersey, South Jersey shore, and then just scrapping it out, different guys and there's different looks and it's just different cultures. I feel like you bring it out on the mat. You can tell if a guy's from the sh- Jersey or the shore or South Jersey or North Jersey, you can always tell. Now, of course, then there's also the quintessential question when it comes to Jersey. And this also is indicative of where you're from. Do you call it pork roll or do you call it Taylor ham? Oh, pork roll. Thank you. That is the correct answer. Pork roll, egg and cheese. Oh, yes, yes. You're speaking my language. I'm a bacon cheese guy myself. (laughs) Well, there's nothing wrong with bacon. I mean, come on. I mean, bacon's bacon. Bacon is bacon. Can't go wrong with bacon. But it's definitely pork roll, egg and cheese. Don't let anyone tell you different. I uh, hear you. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with James Green right there. Now let's let's shift gears a little bit as we as we we've we've talked about the Garden State plenty, and I want to s- stick with this a little bit. But the first time um, I had ever heard of you, you know, obviously you pay attention to rankings and wrestlers, but I remember uh, going to Fargo one year, and John Gray, for those who you don't know, is Mike and Mark's older brother. He's been on the uh, coaching staff in New Jersey for a long time. He came up to me, I think it was the first day of the tournament, and says, "Hey." Watch out for this kid named James Green. Nobody knows who he is. He is he is gonna he, he's gonna set the world on fire. I don't exactly know what he said. I think there might have been some some Jersey language in there, but he told me to keep an eye on you. And I was like, all right, I'll do that. And unfortunately, that was the same year you had a little bit of of an issue in getting to the mat on time, and I and you, you were you're disqualified from the tournament because you should. I remember John is flipping out, pointing to the referee, yeah. going, "He's right there. He's right there." I mean. Let's just, you know, let's, let, now it's been a couple years since then. I mean, what was the situation? Did you oversleep oh, or, or what oh, was yeah. it? Oh, yeah, it was, that's a hilarious story. I mean, in high school, I was a nonchalant kid and <laughs> wrestling Fargo, I, I didn't even know what freestyle was. You know, they're like, oh, you should you should try freestyle. All you got to do is take guys down. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's fine. I'm great at taking guys down. And I remember my first match I won. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be an easy tournament. Then my second match, I actually wrestled Dylan Ness. And this is the first time I ever wrestled him. It was actually uh, me, Dylan Ness, and Derringer were all in the same weight. And at Junior Duels, um, I wrestled Derringer, and I, I beat him. And then me, uh, Ness, and someone else were all undefeated. So I was like, and, you know, I didn't know. I didn't really follow wrestling as much as I do now in high school. I just wrestled. So I'm like, they're like, oh, Derringer, he's, you know, he's a good guy. Ness is a good guy. I'm like, oh, I can actually do this. So we go to Fargo, and I wrestle Ness, and I'm going, taking him down, but he's rolling me through, and I'm like, what is going on? I obviously wasn't winning. He was, he was getting more points than I was in every takedown, and he ended up beating me. So we take a break in the tournament. I go back to the room, and I fall asleep with my headphones on <laughs> and uh one of the coaches come and they're looking for me and they're knocking on the door and I'm like oh man I overslept and we're rushing to the stadium and or the arena and by the time we get in the arena they're like James Green second call and I'm like putting on my singlet and running down the steps and they're like James Green you've been disqualified literally right when I was about to step foot on the arena floor and it was just it was kind of a you know upsetting moment but uh, I guess it was a great learning experience. And the sad thing about it, you know, I was actually uh, trying to talk to schools and get my name out there, and then I ended up doing that. I thought I lost. 
I thought I wasn't going to ever get recruited or nothing like that. It was, it was, it's a funny story to look back on now, but at that time it wasn't too, it wasn't that funny, especially when John Gray's out there trying to fight for you. And, uh, yeah, that happened. So. Yeah, that was the first time I'd ever heard a story about James Green, and then that happens, uh, you know, about a day or so later, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. what, but as we as we talk about you, you you had alluded to the the fact that you were looking at schools, and, and Jordan Burroughs has a similar story about when he was wrestling at the Beast of the East, and he just totally had an awful tournament, and you know he didn't place, and he thought that was it. He thought he. he College coaches were there to watch him, and he, and he just you know had a bad tournament. Was that kind of crossed your mind a little bit, or what really got you back on the horse to be like, all right, I I, I need to. There's school still interested in me. This is just you know a little slip up. Yeah, so um, I think that was my sophomore summer, or going into my junior year, and I'm like, oh man, you know it's getting close, and um, I had people around me like you know talking about, so are you gonna you know try and go to school and wrestle D1. And at the time, I still haven't even won a state championship. I've taken – I didn't place my freshman year. I took uh, fourth. So I'm like, I wasn't really – I didn't even know anything about D1. And I was just like, I got to make something happen. So I worked hard that summer. And at the time of wrestling, you were able to go to college open tournaments. And um, the Altons were, you know, a year ahead of me. And they just got signed by Penn State. So I went to East Stroudsburg Open, and it was just kind of out of the blue, too, because I didn't know I was going. So at that time, I, I was a 140-pounder. I went to weigh in, and I missed weight by a pound because, I, like I said, I didn't know I was going. Ended up wrestling 149, and um, I wrestled all, and we went to in the semi, or we wrestled in the quarters. We went to, like, some overtime, and I lost in overtime. But then I wrestled back. You know, I beat – I'm a – just about to be a junior in high school and I'm beating college kids and me and Alton were supposed to wrestle for third and fourth, but it never happened. But yeah, at that time, Flo was just now, you know, just starting to get big and they were there at the tournament and they recorded some of our matches. And like I said, I was beating college guys being a junior in high school. And that's what kind of got me started. That's what kind of got me like, okay, there's still a chance for me to be recruited, you know, get to D1. And I just kept putting in the work and that's the year I got to the finals. I stayed, but I ended up losing Hank Stinson. But it, at the end of the day, it was still a good year for me. You know, I got some looks, and then Nebraska reached out, and it was just it was just a good year. I I say for myself, and it just kind of got got the ball rolling. So now, when did Nebraska start to enter the fray? Obviously, you know they've had a, a, several New Jersey wrestlers go out there, but when when did when did you decide to become a Husker? Um, basically, yeah, like I said, my, after my junior year, they were one of the first schools to contact me. And I just saw all the things that they did with Jordan knew that we had a similar style. And basically I just kind of felt a connection because, um, with my recruit, you know, recruitment, they were the ones, you know, always talking to me, sending me letters and we just had a good connection. And I liked the I like Snyder. I like Manning. They came, you know, visit a couple times, and everything was good. But I feel like, you know, they had me recruited already. I was ready to go out there and be a Husker. But they were actually they had to work to recruit my mom too. She wasn't she wasn't really trying to have her her only son go out in the middle of the country away from home. So that was a tough little process. But we all worked it out and got it done, and it was great. 
Now, you had said you, you weren't so experienced in freestyle until you got into high school, and, and since then you've actually uh, kind of learned the style and actually become pretty good at it. Obviously, you made a world team, and obviously you competed at the University Worlds. But what is it about freestyle that you think – helps you have more success is it just a, just it plays to your your strengths more is it is it a confidence thing you know what makes you think that freestyle is going to be where you make your mark um yeah i think it just kind of it's uh it plays into my style more you know and with the rule change and stuff it kind of makes people wrestle and that's that's what you know works for me when the people are actually trying to wrestle me instead of just kind of you know holding and tying you can get put on the shot clock and and also, your takedowns can lead to even more points. So if I take a guy and get a lace, or you know, get a trapped arm, trapped arm gut or a gut, whereas in folk style, you got to kind of work more. You know, grind a guy down, you take him down, but you know they're not worried about you getting a gut because you can't lock your hands. So you got to actually, you know, it's like a table, break it down, and then actually turn them. Whereas you can actually lock your hands and turn a guy. So I think that kind of plays into my wrestling, especially since I do a lot of high crotchy single leg, you know, double leg. So I'm able to transition from my takedowns to laces and just able to transition and put more points on the board, whereas in folk style you got to kind of grind a little bit more. And it's it's actually actually great, I think, because freestyle helps you, trans, you know, it helps your uh, folk style and same as vice versa. Folk style helps your freestyle, especially positioning. And... As I started doing freestyle, I got a lot. I got a lot better at folk style, so it both helped my in my career. I wish I could have done it, you know, at a younger age. Like I said, I only went to Fargo once, and before at before that, I never even knew what freestyle or like Olympic style wrestling was. I only thought there was folk style. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad I I got into it as early as I did, and it's just been a big part of my wrestling and helps me getting better. Uh, it's it's been great. I like freestyle a lot. Now, how hard is it for you to go right off the college match and then start training at the senior level? Obviously, we're not talking about you know with the performance yet, but obviously, there's the college season that and that college season is a grind. I mean, you're making weight oh, all the time. I mean, what's what's it like to you know? Is it easier for uh, you know grind. the training or what? It is a grind, and I think what makes it easier for folks out is the fact that I am coming off of that college season. This is my third year in a row where I've wrestled straight from off the college season to the folks uh, freestyle season. So I'm actually, you know, kind of experienced at this, I would say, where most guys, they kind of take a break or, you know, with, uh, before universities. But me, my three years in a row, I've wrestled the universities or at the U.S. Open or World Team Trials. So it's it's been good for me. And like you said, it was a grind. So being that the fact that we have day before weigh-ins, that kind of makes it, you know, it's easier and it's not so much a grind on your body where you have to keep your weight down for just to make weight next week and back-to-back. So uh, freestyle or coming off the folk style season into freestyle, I was just, I think I was in more shape. I was in more condition where folks freestyle is just kind of, you know, it's a, uh, it's not really wrestling all year round. So I think, the only problem is with the short break of uh, between folk style and freestyle is just trying to adjust because where you can roll around in folk style, you can't do that in freestyle because you can give up points. So uh, this year, the U.S. Open and the World Team Trials was kind of pushed back, and 
you know, the, the guys that actually wrestle freestyle all year long, I don't know if they really like that or not, but it was great for me because I got more time to get transition and get more acclimated to, you know, wrestling freestyle and not giving up those points and rolling on my back or, you know, scrambling, just getting my positions down and getting ready. So it was great. I, I like the transition from folk style to the freestyle season, but I don't know if a lot of people can handle it, especially if you cut a lot of weight. And on my part, I don't cut a lot of weight. I wrestle 157 and then freestyle is 154. So it's not bad at all. Yeah, but as we come up to the Olympic year, you're going to have to make a choice. I mean, you're going to go down or you're going to go up. Obviously, there's there's no there's no 70 kilos in, in the Olympic year. Yeah. Um, right now, you know, I'm, I plan on going down down to 65 and i was down there i made 145 two years ago and i mean it was great uh you just have to be disciplined in your diet and the way you're living your lifestyle but i know i can do it and it's a great weight for me you know the fact that they have 70 kilo is a perfect weight for me as well it's not much of a cut but um I know I can get down there, and it's especially a loaded field. I, I would actually love to wrestle in there. If I could, I would have wrestled down there this year, but I actually, since I'm done wrestling with Nebraska now, I, I'm going to have more time to focus on, you know, getting my body right and losing the weight correctly instead of coming right from folk style 157 and trying to drop down. So um, I really i am looking forward, you know, to the world's first, obviously, first and foremost. But, uh, yeah, that's the plan. I at the world, you know, plan on dropping down and wrestling uh, at one or 65 kilos for 2016. Now you look at a couple guys that have come off the college mats. Obviously Kyle Snyder just finished his freshman year. I lost the NCAA finals. You, you finished third and you guys are, or you go from the college match right to the senior level world team. And, you know, it's one of these things that it doesn't happen that often. I mean, it, it you see it periodically. Obviously, Jordan Burroughs did that. Kyle's still, I mean, he's still got, you know, three more years of eligibility. Your eligibility is done. But when you look at coming through that college system and now into the senior level and not being an NCAA champion, how much does does that really serve? Is, is that a primary um, source of motivation or is that just another thing that you've got to put behind you or work work past to become the best in the world? Um, Yeah, it's something you have to, put past, you know, you have to, you know, learn from it um, and just learn from your mistakes and move forward. You know, you can't dwell on it. And I think that's just with any loss. It doesn't matter if it's NCAA or the, or the uh, Big Tens or whatever tournament. It could be just one match. But if you lose, you know, you, you know you have to go back to the drawing board and prepare to wrestle harder the next time. So, you know, for Kyle, it, it – I'm sure it fueled the fire. I mean, any loss that I had fueled my fire. Look at me. I took third at the U.S. Open. I lost to Kevin LaValle in the quarters, and then we wrestled third and fourth, and I won. So just, you know, little things like that. You just have to be able to make adjustments and wrestle better each time and try and wrestle to your best each time. And I think Kyle obviously put it together after Nationals. Moving forward, he, he had great experience freestyle. And I think his his transition to folks out of freestyle was easier and than I was, obviously. I mean, he's wrestled longer and he's had more experience than I have. But I think just coming off a loss, it fuels the fire and it makes you work hard to prove yourself. You just want to prove yourself to, to not only yourself, but to everyone. So it's, it's, uh, it helps you, but 
at the same time, you just want to, you just know you have to try and win all the time. So, which loss stings more, Dylan Ness or Isaiah Martinez? Um, I they both. I, I each loss hurts. You know, uh, obviously, I want to get in the finals, Big Ten consecutive years, and obviously, I want to get in the finals of NCAA. And those are two people I lost to, and they stopped me from happening. So they both hurt equally. And, um, you know, now that I'm done college, it's, it's, you know, you don't get redos. So I don't, like I said before, you don't really dwell on those as much. I've learned from them. I, I watch tape and I move forward. But now I'm on freestyle. So, you know, it's just a different kind of wrestling. And I couldn't really think about those uh, too much especially looking towards the future. So right now it's just one match at a time and just just trying to get better. That's all I can do is just keep trying to get better. When you look back at your Kyle's career, what, what was was there one guy that when you wrestled, uh, whether it be uh, you know at a tournament or Big Ten or wherever, that when whenever you guys got out there and mixed it up, it was it was fun for you. I mean, whether I mean it's win or lose. I mean, what was was there a guy you really enjoyed wrestling? Um, not that I, I can think of. No, not really. Um, you know, uh, I, any competitive match or just close match or, you know, it was a good scrap, uh, I think it's pretty good. But they're actually, now I think about it, Brian Robito, we wrestled at the Las Vegas Invitation, and I was actually kind of hurt and a little sick, and I just squeaked one out. That's one match that I wish I could have got to, you know, wrestle where I was feeling fine and he was feeling fine because, um, yeah, I think he he's a good wrestler. He scraps and good scrambling. And I think that match would have just been a little bit more interesting if I would have been, uh, you know, not a hundred, you never a hundred percent healthy, but I was feeling better. So I guess that's kind of one guy I would have liked to wrestle or would have been interesting to wrestle. One thing that is going to stay the same, at least uh, for the time being, is is from college to freestyle. Is you're still hanging around Lincoln with the uh, Nebraska Wrestling Regional Training Center. You got Mark Manning in there. You got Brian Snyder in there. And I guess I guess the question right now is is, is Brian Snyder still a badass? <laughs> well, um, so I actually have another year of school left. Like uh, I was on a five year scholarship, so I wrestled four years straight in a redshirt. So basically, or technically, like this is my redshirt year. So. I'm kind of still in the system, but <laughs> Snyder, yeah, he's he's still rolling around. He's still scrapping. He's uh, uh, I mean, I think he could, if he wanted to, and trained hard, he could compete for a world team spot. Man, that guy's awesome. He's he's always scrapping hard. I enjoy. Uh, I think he's been a real big part of my success, and just learning from him, he's got a real great knowledge on the sport of wrestling. Him and Manning, and it's. It's been great. I mean, even my freshman year, Manny was still scrapping. He still gets on the mat time and time. But Snyder, yeah, he's he's still awesome. He's, he's still a badass. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you ever mess with his hair when it's gelled up, or take his glasses off? Because he's styling, man. Oh <laughs> uh, man, uh, we always give him crap about it though. We always get on him. Yeah, we call him Man Pretty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's gonna kill me for that but uh let's let's get off of brian snyder's uh case real quick let's let's just talk a little bit about uh about jordan burroughs who's training there obviously three-time world olympic champ who's got a bronze medal with it what was it like the first time you met well, you went live with jordan in the nebraska room um well we bumped heads a lot 
bumped heads a lot, but more more than often he was the one coming out on top because we have similar styles. You know, we're always looking to shoot doubles or shoot singles. We're always running into him, but he was bigger and uh, stronger, obviously. But it's been great. <laughs> I think uh, I've obviously I've been able to you know take him down here and there and get to his legs more often, but. That just comes with, you know, you're wrestling a guy all the time and you get to know how he wrestles. And it's a big difference in watching just tape and trying to train for it than practicing with him every day. But nonetheless, I still, I'm still getting better, still getting closer. And we, up until World Team Trials, we were scrapping and, you know, going back and forth. And it's great uh, training with JV. You can, you learn a lot and then kind of makes you go harder because he's, he's, you know, he's wrestling hard from start to finish. And in order to, you know, match that pace, you got to be able to do it, dig down deep. And it's really helped me, you know, go out there and wrestle harder. If you're up by two, down by two, just always looking to score, always looking to put up points. And that's kind of what JB, you know, brings to the room, brings to the environment and the basket wrestling now you said there's there's similarities in styles. You've also said at at the trials in your post interview that that you guys have uh, differences in your styles. Do you think that you guys get compared too much together too often because you're both African American New Jersey natives who happen to wrestle at Nebraska? Yeah, I think that's a big part. You know, that's you know, obviously that that's how you start the topic. You know, James Green or you know Jordan Burroughs, James Green. They're both from New Jersey. They're both from Nebraska. You know, both wrestle one fifty seven. Both. Uh, African American both only won one state title, so that right there is a comparison in itself. And I mean, he's got obviously two national championships and a hot trophy, but when it comes to our style and taking double legs and um, you know, flow, they had a, the the interview or the flow radio the other day where they were talking about how you describe uh, African Americans, and I think that's just a big part of it. You know, we're people describe us as, you know, quick, explosive, and I think that's just kind of why we get compared a lot, just because we're able to get a lot of takedowns and try and put up a lot of points and we're very offensive, so they don't really kind of, I'm sure if you play some tape back, you'll see obviously some uh, differences in how we set, get our, to our setups and get to our shots, but nonetheless, we're people always compare us. Uh, I think they they will always will, no matter what. So just something I, I got to live with. But at the same time, it, it makes me work harder because I'm trying to separate myself from them and open up and do more things. And but at the same time, he's getting better too. So it's just hard. <laughs> it's hard. But hey, it's not a bad comparison, and I don't mind it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm working hard to make a name for myself. So. Yeah, it's not like you're you're they're comparing you. To, they're comparing you to JB. They're not comparing you to this JB, who is a slow heavyweight with short T Rex oh, arms. Yeah. You don't want to be compared to me. That's there's <laughs> no way you want that to be the case. But I was just curious on that because you know that's that's a topic, and I know uh, CP and Willie mentioned it on on Flow Radio. I wrote a column about it a couple years ago in Win Magazine, and you know that that kind of leads to the question: What wrestlers do you want your style to emulate? Obviously. 
you know, wanting to, to be similar to Jordan Burroughs in some t- technical aspects is probably not a bad thing to want. But what are some guys yeah. or wrestlers you grew up watching were like, I like that style. I want to wrestle like that or I want to pick up that move. Was it was it based yeah. on simply, all right, that you know, that guy's black, he I want to wrestle like him, or is it uh, you know, what was it? What was what was the influence? No, there? um not even like I said before, um I never really followed wrestling. I didn't have any of my family. And I never followed wrestling growing up. I didn't, when I was growing up, you know, like they had the Kale Sanderson shoes or JB shoes. I didn't know who Kale Sanderson was. Like I didn't really follow wrestling. I just did it. So I would go to tournaments, you know, watch people wrestle. I I, I would watch the sport if I was there. I would watch people wrestle. I'm like, oh, I like how he does that. Oh, I like that boost, you know. So I would get that image and just try and bring it back in the room. And I always would do different stuff and, as I got older, I figured out what worked for me more and, you know, what got me to win matches. So I keep, I would, wouldn't say I ever really followed or a wrestler, a particular wrestler. I just kind of did it. If I liked someone, what they showed me, or I would try and get a one-on-one and ask how to do this and, you know, put my own little twist on it or someone just helped me improve my little technique. So... And then once I, you know, got to college, <clears throat> obviously it's a little different and you just work on honing those skills that you were good at. And that's what it comes down to. And I think a lot of people uh, or a lot of kids coming up, they don't re- kind of realize that they, they see, you know, people like David Taylor or, and they think they're doing all these flashy moves, but they don't know that we've been doing these same moves since we were young, you know, and you're, you practice it and you hone it. So when you're when these kids are coming up and they're trying to learn all these stuff, you know, and trying to be flashy, they don't realize they just need a you know four basic moves or you know a go-to takedown and a go-to uh, defense and just keep working on those things. And as I grew up, that's what I did. I just worked on my double leg. And when our our junior program, our motto was takedown or win. So that's what we were all about, all on our feet double legs, high crosses, and single legs, and I just kept building off of that. Let's talk with James Green here on the Short Time Wrestling Podcast. World teamer, ready to make his first senior-level appearance at the World Championships in Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, you've got all this this travel coming up. You just tweeted out uh, that you'll be living out of a suitcase for, uh-huh. I guess, the rest of the summer. I mean, are, are you ready for that? I mean, are you ready to be like, be like um, yeah, sorry, I, I don't know where I'm going to be. But, uh, uh, you know, yeah. like I said, this is uh, my third year doing this. So I made a university team and we would have, you know, camp at the OTC and then I would be back in Nebraska and then I would, you know, try and go home for a little bit. Then I'm back in Nebraska training and back at the OTC. And, you know, I've done it before. I'm, you know, ready to do it again. It just sucks when you're trying to get, you know, make some plans, and you just just don't really know quite if you can do it or if your schedule is going to allow it. And uh, just, I guess, something you get used to. But hey, this is what happens when you know you're trying to reach your your goals and your dreams. You got to make some sacrifices and be prepared to handle it. So. You can follow James Green on Twitter at Who Is James G, and that leads to the final question of the program: If you were asked to describe that question who is james g what would you tell him uh i would say that you know i'm a (laughs) 
I'm a laid-back guy that works hard. And, uh, I mean, you could say I keep to myself, but um, obviously I always have I have an opinion and things to say. But at the same time, nice guy, funny guy, a <laughs> little comical time to time, um, very nice and uh, just a very hard worker on, on and off the mat. And pretty much that's it. I mean, I guess people would know off of, you know, the people around me would know, but could probably answer that question better than I can. But, <laughs> hey, it is what you get what you get. Now the time we got left, this is kind of where I give everybody kind of an open forum to say thanks or whoever whoever you want to thank out there, whether it be, uh, you know, coaches, parents, sponsors, whatever. Who does James Green want to say thanks to for helping to make the U.S. world team? Uh, I want to say thanks to my mom, obviously. Uh, thanks to the NWPC, Nebraska Wrestling, Coach Snyder, Coach Manny, um, all the rest, Husker Wrestling guys, all the boosters and making it possible. And um, just thanks USA Wrestling for giving me a chance. The Short Time Wrestling Podcast is brought to you by Flips Wrestling. Share your attitude and be heard at flipswrestling.com. Like what you hear on Short Time? Drop us a rating and a review on iTunes by going to matttalkonline.com slash getshorttime. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.